Well, if you thought you were going to come out of this place without burning some calories and meeting the living God, I don't know what to tell you. But God is at work in this place. And God is going to do something in this place. We're only just beginning this morning. We might be at this middle point, but gosh, God can do a lot in a middle point to get us to the end. Um, And so I'm going to invite you to continue to be attentive, even in the reading of the word and the proclamation of the word, that you will not think, oh gosh, the good part was in the front part of the service, but that maybe it will get even sweeter, sweeter than honey underneath your tongue, that you might know that the living God uh, is here among us in the power of the word, both read and also proclaimed. But before I begin um, with our uh, reading of scripture this morning, we are in what is known in the life of the church uh, in the first Sunday of Advent. Um, Advent represents the four weeks leading up to the day and the season of Christmas. So Advent is four weeks, and then Christmas, beginning on December 25th, um, lasts for 12 days. So from December 25th until January 6th, which is known as the Epiphany, you are then in the season of Christmas. So technically, when you walk into Target or you go into Harris Teeter or you're hanging out with people right now, I don't want you to be this person who's like reprimanding them, but you can say, it's not Christmas yet. We are technically still in Advent. Now, Advent um, has two major connotations. The the word literally has two connotations that um, it's kind of like turning a coin uh, and two sides that we understand the nuance of this particular season. The first kind of connotation of of Advent is that it is a season of waiting. It's a time when we, we long and we pine and we wait with hope, like those who are also waiting and pining and longing for the coming Messiah as proclaimed in Isaiah chapter 11 that Adana and Cayo read this morning, that they were waiting for this Messiah who would come and redeem God's people. Basically, during the season of Advent, it is a time of preparation where we're reminded over and over again of our deep need for Jesus. That where we feel like life is falling apart, where we feel like there's all this brokenness, where we are hoping for peace or reconciliation, that in the same way that those of old were waiting and hoping because human kings were not doing the the job, that they were waiting for this coming Messiah, we also too wait. But the thing about Advent is that we wait not as those who are worried or anxious uh, or, or concerned. We wait as those who wait with hope. Because as we've just sung, uh, Jesus is a promise keeper, not a suggestion maker. You know, when God says that God's going to do something, God actually follows up on God's word. And so when we wait in this season, preparing our hearts, making room in the manger of our hearts for Jesus, we do so because we recognize not only does this world need Jesus, but we too need Jesus. The second connotation of the season of Advent um, is uh, on coming or arrival. So uh, we like to focus on the infant Jesus during uh, this time of the year. But actually, Advent is to also open us up to make us aware of Jesus' second coming. That we recognize that even though in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus made all things new. That when you look around, when you read the news, when you look at some of your family members, you recognize that sometimes it does not feel like we're living into the fullness thereof of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. While there is still the reality of patriarchy or supremacy or all of the isms or the ways in which we hurt each other or we find brokenness in our own lives, diagnoses that cause us to shudder in the middle of the night or financial situations that keep us on the brink of despair, 
The fullness thereof has not yet been realized. And so we whisper on our lips during the season of Advent, come, Lord Jesus, come. In the same way that you came once into this world to redeem all things, we now wait with hope for your arrival to come again. Scholars call this tension of Jesus making all things new through his resurrection, but us living in this middle place, the already but not yet. We know what Jesus has done, but we also see how we live in and how we don't live into the resurrection power of Jesus, how even though the kingdom of heaven can come closer to the kingdom of earth, how we sometimes live in the opposite direction of justice and of goodness. We don't live like resurrection people, and so we're also waiting for the not yet. When Jesus redeems all things, and we, with our human eyes, can see the fullness thereof of Jesus's power. Now, you may be wondering, why is it important for you to know all of these things about Advent? Number one, so that you might be attentive. You know, early in the worship service, I said that we're going to try not to make December about a production. It's easy. It's easy to literally let Bing Crosby take you down a vortex (laughs) that you cannot get out of, of decking the halls and trying to have the best decorations on the block that you might actually miss out on Jesus trying to take up residence in your, in your heart and in your life and also in this world. You might miss out on people trying to be the answer to the prayer because you're just being about a lot of busy work. So one, because of this waiting and this coming and arrival, we want you to be attentive. But the second reason we want you to, uh, to know about why um, Advent is so important is because this Advent here at our Southeast Raleigh table, we are going to locate ourselves into the stories of the people who had the closest proximity to Jesus' first arrival. Basically, we are going to anchor ourselves in all of the stories of those who would have had the, the, the nearest connection to the actual birth narrative of Jesus, our Lord. Because in their stories, Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and Simeon, we see how they were waiting with hope. And we also see how Jesus' coming and arrival in their family also significantly changed their own stories. So we want you not to feel disconnected from the story of Jesus, but to locate yourselves and resonate with some of the stories of those who are preparing themselves for Jesus' arrival, that you might continue to prepare yourself in this season of Advent. Yes. If y'all aren't going to talk back to me, the children will. It's lit down there. What are y'all doing? Um, I need to come hang out with y'all. Anyway, so to begin with the story of Jesus, it only makes sense that we might read from the genealogy of Jesus. So this morning, if you have your um, Bibles with you, I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1, beginning with the first verse through the 17th verse. And if for some reason in the reading of the scripture, if you miss anything, then I'm going to invite you tonight, um, even though it might seem like the most boring passage of scripture to read, to take a little time and to look over this passage. Hear now these words from the Gospel of Matthew. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, 
and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of the king of David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. And friends, this is the story of God. For us, the storied people of God, thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God, you have given us a glimpse of who you are through the story of Jesus. Now, by the power of the word and your Holy Spirit, give us a glimpse of who we can be, that your word would not just rest upon our ears, but also the ears of our hearts, that we might be made new by the power of your word and Holy Spirit. Turn down all the volume of voices that would seek to distract us in this moment so that we could hear your still small voice again. Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us for your servants are listening. We hear your story. Now come and redeem ours. All this we pray in the strong name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So now this is the thing about uh, the genealogy. You can read the genealogy of Jesus and think that it's a feat in itself just to get through this passage of scripture of Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Every single time I've ever read the genealogy in public, people are always like, oh my gosh, Zerubbabel, how did you do that? And, and in reading the genealogy, we sometimes get sucked into a trap, which is the reading of the genealogy keeps us from actually locating ourselves and really thinking about the people who are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. You know, wanna know why the genealogy of Jesus is so important? Is because uh, in Middle Near Eastern cultures, you did not operate in this world as an individual, but instead, your genealogy, your people, who you came from, this belly button of yours that's connected to folks meant that you were also connected to stories which means that your people, the folks that you are connected to, uh, the stories of, of before that your grandmother and your great-grandmother used to tell you, that your aunts and your uncles used to tell you, that you cannot somehow separate yourself from your past. So your people that went before you could either 
mess up your reputation or give credibility to your reputation. So for Jesus' genealogy to be read is to do so with the lens of who are these people that Jesus is attached to? We know that Jesus is fully divine, but we also recognize this great miracle is that Jesus is also fully human, which means that Jesus was connected to other individuals. This is the reality, though. When you really read, I mean read, dig up dirt on Jesus' genealogy, you will understand why Jesus' people might have messed up his reputation with those who had proximity in his life. Rahab, the prostitute, a part of Jesus' genealogy. David, yeah, he was a great king, but David also got uh, a woman's husband killed, and then we always like to say, oh, he slept with her, but actually it was more like it was a violent act towards her because he had more power than Bathsheba when he was watching her taking a bath when he was booed up with somebody else. You've got some twins who were born out of, very, out of a very unfortunate situation. Jesus's storyline, the people that connect him to his belly button could easily mess up Jesus's reputation. But this is the good news of Jesus's genealogy for us. The sloppiness of Jesus's life and all of his people that went on before him that are connected to his belly button actually give him credibility among us. I want to read this quote from um, Ann Voskamp that she um, says about Jesus' story. She says that family gives you context, and origin gives you understanding, and the family tree of Christ always gives you hope. His people were messed up. My people are messed up. Maybe Jesus will understand. The coming of Christ was right through families of messed up monarchs and battling brothers, through affairs and adultery, and more than a feud or two, through skeletons in closets and cheaters at tables. Jesus' genealogy might have messed him up with the religious officials, but Jesus' genealogy as we begin this season of Advent actually gives him credibility with our lives. How many of you have a friend or an associate who is always willing to give you advice, a nugget of wisdom, a thought for the day, always retweeting something that's really profound on their Instagram so that it's like they're the most wise individual and yet they don't know anything about you. You, you have those folks in your life, folks who always want to come as the wise one in your life, but the thing is they don't really know you. And you know how off-putting it is for someone to show up in your most fragile or most wounded or most broken moment in life, and then all of a sudden they just have the answer to fix the thing. Or all you got to do is, or if you would just. And when you are dealing with this fragile or broken or wounded moment in your life, this person who does not really understand your story, trying to speak into your story, can truly create a, a great level of insult and sometimes even injury to our person. Well, Jesus' genealogy proves that Jesus knows something quite intimate, that Jesus knows something quite deep, that Jesus knows something quite meaningful, 
that Jesus knows and understands your story. Jesus didn't come into a perfect family. Jesus wasn't born in the greatest of circumstances. Instead, Jesus was birthed at the margins and birthed through a family that oftentimes would marginalize themselves from grace and goodness and love and mercy. Jesus was birthed into some craziness and some sloppiness and some stories that no one wants to tell. Jesus was birthed into secrets and pain and woundedness and brokenness. Jesus was birthed into some storylines that you wish that you could erase and that no one would ever know. And because Jesus was birthed into that story, because God and God's goodness chose that in the incarnate nature of Jesus Christ not to bypass humanity, but then to come through humanity gives Jesus the kind of proximity to our stories that Jesus can then redeem his family. The beautiful thing about not the Christmas tree, but the Jesus tree, is that the last one who is mentioned in the genealogy can make beautiful the stories of all those who went before him. Whereas in our genealogy, that the stories of the past sometimes flavor our lives and how we move forward, it is the one who's at the bottom of the tree who redeems all that went before and then also makes something beautiful of those who are going on. Jesus who we wait for and we long with hope, knew their stories to redeem their stories. And Jesus knows our stories and this world's brokenness to redeem. Athanasius says this, one of the great patriarchs of the church, that God became man so that man could become God. That Jesus comes so near to our humanity that our humanity might become like glory. Because Jesus knew how much we needed one to take the ashes of our lives and to make something beautiful. Advent always seems to just come right on time. About six years ago, um, it was during Advent that the shootings in Sandy Hook uh, Elementary School happened. And I remember sitting there watching uh, NBC and thinking, of course it would happen during the season of Advent when we wait for the redeeming of all things. We want the lion and the lamb to sit down with one another and that our swords might be turned into plowshares and that our weapons of violence might be turned into pruning hooks. Of course, during the season of Advent, that these things would happen, we might keep our eyes on the one who has come and who is coming again. And this week, as we were preparing ourselves for the first Sunday of Advent, it was such a doozy, and I thought to myself, oh, this is why. When our dear brother, Samuel Oliver Bruno, who was finding sanctuary at Citywell Church, United Methodist Church in Durham, who went in for his regular appointment that he might put in a petition to prolong his, uh, the process to stay in this country, that he was taken away by ICE. And I thought to myself, oh, Jesus knows that story, to be taken away by the officials. And then when he was moved from one place 
to another place. And his family did not know when they had taken him to Georgia. I thought to myself, oh, Jesus knows that story because when um, the powers that be were going to kill all the children and Mary and Joseph had to flee to Egypt. Oh, Jesus knows this story. I may not understand, but Jesus' genealogy helps me to understand that Jesus has a proximity to this person's story. When some of my neighbors, the day before Thanksgiving, were in essence put out of their house, and I cannot begin to wrap my mind around um, their housing insecurity. Oh, but Jesus knows this story. He was not born in a hospital. He was not born on beautiful white linens. There was no room for him. So where the common animals do their business, that's how Jesus entered in. And when you go through hardships, you know that Jesus went through hardships. When your family members stretch you, you know that Jesus' family members stretched him. When you feel like you are being broken to the place of death, you know that Jesus knows what it is to be broken to the place of death. When people start to talk ill of you and bad of you and drag your name through the mud, you'll say, but I have this Jesus who came into the world who knows what it is to say, really, are you the king of this world? Jesus who came and Jesus who is coming, has a story kind of like yours and has come into the world to make your story better. Keep your eyes open. Keep your lives open. Because Jesus be knowing. Jesus knows you. Listen to a story and know that he is redeeming yours. Will you pray with me? God, I'm reminded of the song lyrics that there are those who don't know our story, that there are those who don't know what we've been through, that there are those who will never know the dark nights of our soul, that there, there are those who will never understand sometimes the burdens that we bear, whether for ourselves or the weight that we carry for others. There are those who were not around when we were celebrating on a high mountain. There are those who did not rejoice when we were rejoicing. There are those who do not know the seasons of our lives when we wore a mantle of praise about our shoulders. But Jesus, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Savior of the world, son of Mary and son of Joseph, connected to Manasseh and Zerubbabel, tied to Rahab. You know us. So God, as we begin this journey through your story, 
Help us to have the courage to allow you to redeem our stories. That we would keep watch, that we keep our lives open for your arrival. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And make something beautiful of us. This we pray in the strong name of Jesus, our story writer. Amen.